You're listening to a sermon from Metro North Church in Goose Creek, South Carolina. If you'd like to connect with us, then visit us online at metronorthchurch.com. Well, as I said, we are starting a new series. It's called For the City. If you're visiting today, I don't want you to feel like you're not part of us. Imagine where you live. Imagine not just your own life, but Jonah, who was living in the northern part of what we would call the, the kingdom of God up north, he was challenged to think about not just his city, but a pagan city called Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. So Jonah, it's a short book. Did you know it's only 48 verses in Hebrew? It's four chapters. Why are we looking at this book? Because we are not called to simply love our family. We are. But not, we're, we're not called to simply love our family and the people in our church family while ignoring the people in the city, in the county that we live in. People think this is a story about a big fish. It's a story about a big God who, if we will hear him today, will change your view of what's going on in history. You see, just as Jonah will see resisted sharing grace with the outsiders, the city of Nineveh, we too resist leaving our well-worn ruts and routines for the sake of another person's salvation. So people of God, because of the honor that we give to God's Word, would you please stand as we read the first part of the book of Jonah, prophet of God. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, your, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up. 
and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to go back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Would you pray with me? Father, we're going to need your help. Most of us know this story, so we've already turned it off. Lord, do we know the good news of this story? Father, I ask right now that you would fashion the good news from this story like an arrow and send it from you to us by your Spirit so it penetrates our heart and we will all walk out of here changed because of the good news of grace. Father, I do pray that you would make many of us here today very uncomfortable with the neutral we've been living our lives towards the outsiders. And Lord, I pray that you would make all of us here comforted by your greater gospel of grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, with your Bibles, please be seated. We see Jonah running so fast, and I wonder if you know, tell the person next to you, who is the fastest man on earth? Tell the person if you know who that is. By the way, it's not Hussein Bolt. It's this guy. The fastest man on earth right now is a man named Noah Lyles. Did you know that? Hussein Bolt retired. Many of us have retired from going to the outsider. We don't realize that this man, Noah Lyles, is fast. It, one thing that he does, which is interesting, though, is that he often starts off very slow. Take a look. This was his most recent race. Everybody thought he wasn't going to win because he was in the back, but right at the end, he outruns the fastest runner. In fact, Lyles turned 21 last month, and when Hussein Bolt was that old, his personal best in the 100 was 19.75. That's a tenth slower than Lyles' current speed. Everyone predicts that Lyles is not only the fastest man in the world, but will become the fastest man of all time. The title today is simply Runaway Grace. Runaway Grace. Oh, we will run from God and what He wants, but can you outrun grace? A lot of action in that story, isn't there? A lot of action. Did you see it? Jonah's running. He's sleeping. There's a fish doing a lot of swallowing. Well, that's how we're going to walk through it today. Let's first of all, and look number one at this. God's grace can outrun the fastest runaway. 
God's grace can outrun the fastest runaway. Now, many of you think you know Jonah, but let me make sure you really know this man. How are we going to know about this guy? Because there is a book called Second Kings that tells the story of one of the most evil kings ever, Jeroboam. Jonah is mentioned in that book, and it tells us all about him. It's really important that you hear this, or the rest of his story will make no sense. It is not a story about a big fish. Let's read it from this amazing section of Kings. Jeroboam, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He restored the border of Israel according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. There he is, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. Jeroboam lived about 793 B.C. He was the evil king up north. At this point, the 12 tribes had split. Two of them were down south. They usually had some good kings. The ones up north, evil kings. Jonah, his people, because he loves to call himself a Hebrew, he's very, very patriotic. In fact, he's called the patriotic prophet. He is a prophet who is speaking God's word to an evil people. Let me show you this image here of the 12 tribes at the time. You have that section of blue that is up north. Now notice above it to the right, the Assyrian Empire. One of the most horrific, terrorist-like empires in the capital of Assyria, Nineveh. That upper section, Jeroboam didn't want any connection with Nineveh. He was very evil. And it says that Jonah was the prophet who gave a message of grace to an evil king and an evil people that didn't deserve it. In fact, Jeroboam, so evil, his border was safe. Now, Jonah, this is his backstory. He is a prophet. What's a prophet? A prophet was basically like God's cell phone. What do I mean? A cell phone, you take a message from you and type it in. You push send. Can your phone reject sending your message? No. Something's wrong if it tries to do that. A prophet received a text message from God, and you would tell this message to the people you were sent to. The prophet would never consider not sending the message. Jeroboam, evil king, you will recover territory to your north so you don't have to be scared about Nineveh. Your border will be safe. Though you are evil, Jeroboam, you will get grace and your people will get grace. For God sees that you and your people are afflicted and you so need help. Jonah loved to send that message to his own people. He's the patriotic prophet. He will assert in chapter 1, I am a Hebrew. And this shows that Jonah is very comfortable when he's with people that are the people of God. Oh, I am a Hebrew. He knows his tribe. This is being written about a lot right now, the idea of tribalism. 
when we kind of think, well, I'm in a tribe, we will look at everybody that's not in our tribe and we'll kind of think they're idiots. This is really going around today. Now, I could bring up something really divisive like the Democrat or the Republican, and I can ask you to raise your hand if you're a Democrat or raise your hand if you're a Republican, but I won't do that. I'm going to bring up something way more divisive. How many of you believe that sweet tea is better than unsweetened tea? Now, come on, don't hang back. How about sweet tea lovers? I'm with you, by the way. How about the unsweet tea lovers? Now, no offense, it's going to sound offensive, but why in the world would you drink something that's got no sweetness? I mean, sweet tea. Once again, I won't bring up anything divisive, but anybody here a Pepsi fan? How about Coke? Once again, no offense, but I'm a Coke fan. I don't know how you can drink that stuff called Pepsi. I really don't. And those of you that are younger, you know what the tribes are, DC or Marvel. We identify with a tribe like Jonah did, and we think everybody else who ain't in my tribe is an idiot. If we're honest, this is what happens to us. Now here's what happens to Jonah. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. We know his backstory. God says, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Do you see how crazy this would be to get this text message to send? Go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship. He paid the fare. He got on board. He wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah. Arise and go. You're going to go on an adventure. You're going to give grace to an undeserving outsider people. God said, go. Jonah said, no. Can you imagine a cell phone doing that? Oh, Jonah didn't mind at all doing this to God. Tarshish. Look at this image. Over on the far right, you have where Jonah is from, Samaria. He goes to Joppa. Now, Nineveh would have been 500 miles to the east. Instead, he goes 2,000 miles to the southern area of Spain to get away. Now, back then, Tarshish would be the equivalent to some of us telling our children, man, if you do that again, I'm going to send you to Timbuktu, that mysterious, far, far, far away place. Jonah says, you want me to go? Uh Uh-uh. Not to that tribe. He was reluctant. He was resistant. And you might ask, now, how are, why do you really think this? The book tells us. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, he tells us why he did this. Let's read it. This is why, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. If I tell these outsiders, I know you, God. I know what you've done with my evil people. You've given us grace, and I know what you'll do to those evil people. Nineveh was bad. I, had, I can't even mention some things from the pulpit, but to be delicate, I will tell you these three things. Nineveh was known at that time, if they captured an enemy... 
to cut off both of your hands. You would live the rest of your life without hands. Now, hands are pretty important. If you were captured by Nineveh and you were an enemy, you would be flayed alive. If you were captured by Nineveh, their favorite thing to do is after they did this to you is they would put you high in the air, hoisted up, and your humanity would be swallowed up in shame. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Why did he run away? He was reluctant. He was resistant. He did not want to bring a message of repentance to this race because he felt superior. He was racist, we would call it today. God's will is so clear, but God hoped for a future. Outsiders would get into the close-knit tribe. God hoped for a future, but it gave Jonah pain in the present having that future. Or to say it another way, you know, what we believe about the future will directly affect how you live today. Jonah decides to distance himself from the will of God. Ever done that? He's going to take flight trying to get out of God's sight. He's going to pay for a ship. It will cost you to run from God. He's going to sail on the sea, which for a Hebrew was crazy. Hebrews were called landlubbers. They don't get into the sea. The sea is an area of chaos, death, danger. The Hebrews saw the sea like a liquid body bag. You see, God gave mankind dominion over the fish of the sea, but because of sin, the sea is now a place wrecked. Sin reversed reality. Things in the sea can hurt you, maybe even swallow you up. Jonah would rather run away from the presence of God and resist the clear will of God going to the outsider, letting them into the tribe. I would rather resist the clear will of God than send that text message. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. Run and hide in the trees. Leave me alone, God. How do you and I do this? How do we try to run away from the will of God? Where are you miles away from God's clear standard? If the shoe fits, will you wear it with me? I chose some things how I do it. Number one, are you impatient? That is not the will of God. Well, how would I know? You have a strong sense of annoyance at the usually unintentional faults and failures of another. You often express this verbally in a way that tends to humiliate the person who is the object of your impatience. Moms, dads, grandparents, husbands, when you're in traffic. How about this one? By the way, this is miles away from God's standard. Yes, you're fleeing the will of God. Are you irritable? This means you frequently are impatient and you get annoyed over the slightest provocations. Others will have to walk on eggshells around you. Do you have resentment? That means you hold on to an anger internally after you perceive you are being ill-treated by another person. 
How about moral self-righteousness? This is what Jonah had. It's just a feeling of superiority with respect to others. Or this one, a critical spirit. Do you look for and find fault with everyone and everything? Kind of saying, I take pride in pointing out the chink in your armor. Do you love money? Oh, not you. Me. Do you love money? Do you live more to get and keep money to feel secure and hopeful than to generously give it to the church and trust God for your daily provision? Or are you competitive? you got the urge to always win, to be the top person in every field of endeavor. It's not that you want to do your best to glorify God, but you've got to win and be number one. I know I could go on and on, but should I pass up this one? Slander. Slander is miles away from the will of God. What is it? Well, just misrepresent another so that their reputation is damaged and easily ascribe false motives to others. How about sexually? Many of us, many of you, There is somebody that came here today that needs to hear this. You are miles away from God's standard sexually. Pornography is miles away. Sleeping together with someone you have not covenanted in marriage, miles away. But harsh words, sarcasm. Do you often make unkind, unneeded disclosures about negative things that really don't need to be said? Do you put people down? Do you humiliate others? Do you hurt others? Listen to me, we're all, if the shoe fits, will you put it on? I think we're all wearing it if you're honest. Listen to this good news. God's grace can outrun the fastest runaway. We pull away from God, he pursues us. Where do we see it in the story? But the Lord, look at verse 4. What's the Lord's reaction to Jonah just getting out of there to Tarshish? The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Hurled. It's used in that story where Saul didn't like David, and he hurled a spear. Why? To pin him to the wall. God is looking at Jonah saying, I need you to bring a message to Nineveh. Yes, Nineveh. No, Nineveh is not in your tribe, the evil one that I already gave grace to. You racist, you loving to stay in your little family, you have got to understand my heart and I'm coming after you. You're far from my will and I'm hurling onto the sea wind as a weapon. I'm going to catch up to you, Jonah. In fact, I already have. God can outrun the fastest runaway. Do you see the second gospel truth? God's grace can awaken the deepest sleeper. Verse 5, Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship, laid down, was fast asleep. Jonah did not want to be conscious of the needs of Nineveh. How many of you in the last day or two have thought about the 90% of your friends and neighbors that will not worship God today? Are you conscious of their predicament? The sailors above were freaking out. They were not in the tribe of God. 
They would always be separated from God. Jonah didn't care. Jonah did not care. He was not conscious of grace. He was comatose to the outsider. Now, let me, let me be gentle here. Many of you don't think about outsiders because you're stuck in your own pain. And there's a lot of pain out there. There is pain in your problems. I know many of us want to numb that noise in our hearts. You picture Jonah down there with his earbuds in, listening to his own Spotify playlist, dozing off. What do you do to numb the pain in your life? Some of you do get involved with excessive sleep. I often want to do that when life gets hard. I just want to sleep. Hit the snooze button 400 times. Some of you use excessive alcohol. Many of us use excessive technology. And by the way, technology is not the problem. Technology will accelerate your life. It will amplify reality. The problem with excessive technology is the problem of your heart. You use your technology to numb yourself. Now, verse 5, it says that the sailors are actively crying out to their gods. They're doing something excessive. But they're also working to save themselves. They hurled, same word again, the cargo. I mean, they're going on a long trip and cargo is going to be important. And they're praying to their gods. The sky god, Baal, was very famous back then. And Baal loves it when you work. The captain needs to make sure that everybody's working. So look at verse 6. The captain came and said to Jonah, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we will not perish. Now imagine me and Jonah. You so don't want the will of God. You're so sleeping. And you get shaken awake and the boat's moving around. This captain, which in Hebrew is the chief of the rope pullers, Needs Jonah to start pulling some ropes, screaming to any, any God that's out there, get up, pull your weight. He says something in Hebrew, arise, call out. It's the exact thing that God told Jonah to do in the beginning of the book. Jonah, arise and call out to Nineveh. Imagine being woken up by a captain. He was probably a pirate-looking guy. You better get yourself up top there. Arise, call out. And Jonah's like, that's exactly what God wants me to do. And you're a pagan telling me to do. Send the text message that I'm refusing to send. God's grace can awaken the deepest sleeper. Jonah's starting to come to his senses. But he's not comfortable. He's not living his life the way he wanted. He's not able to keep his world like it is. It reminds me of an old fairy tale told by Tim Keller about sleep discomfort and grace. It goes like this. There was a wicked witch in the middle of the forest. Isn't that where they always live, like with their little pot and all that? She had a wonderful bed. When a wayfaring stranger would come, she would feed him and say, sleep in my bed. It was the most comfortable bed you can imagine. But if you were asleep in it when the sun came up, in the morning, you would turn to one of these, turn to stone. Unfortunately, you knew you were stone. Your heart and soul were 
trapped inside. She would make you a statue in her statuary, and you would live there trapped for eternity. Once a young man came to the witch. She feeds him. But a servant girl, yeah, the witch has a servant girl, loved the man, felt sorry for the man. So before he goes to bed, she throws thorns and sticks and stones and thistles and all kinds of awful things underneath his mattress. He sees her at the door and he grumps at her after he wakes up and he yells at her. What kind of a place is this? And he walks out. She looks at him and the servant girl says, yeah, the misery you know now after such an uncomfortable night really bothers you because you can't compare it to the misery your comfort would have bought you. Don't you see these were stones of love I threw in there? Metro North Church, people of God, listen to me very closely. If you put your comfort above the uncomfortable things that God calls you to do, the end is not good. Metro North Church, I have to say this with all the seriousness that I can. If you put your spiritual comfort, if we stay as a church family comfortable in our tribe, sharing grace with each other, but we refuse to listen to God and go to the outsider, that comfort does not have a good end. Stones. Yes, it would be uncomfortable. Jonah was sobering up. And do you notice in verse 7, they cast some stones. They cast lots, and the lot falls to Jonah, and they say to him, of what people are you? And he said, I'm a Hebrew. There's this patriotism again. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made sea and dry land. Now, many of you may not know this, but casting of the lots, they would take two stones, they would paint one side white, the other side black, and to make decisions back then, they would roll them like dice. Too dark? No. So they're kind of wondering, which guy is causing the problem here, where we're all really uncomfortable? Too light? Stones? Yes. You got a dark and a light? Roll it again. The lot pointed to Jonah, the problem, the comfortable, morally self-righteous, patriotic, tribal, racist, God follower. And thank God for the lot. Proverbs 16 says this, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from who? The Lord. Jonah awakens to the presence of God. He was numbing himself. Now he starts to nourish himself. He says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. The God of heaven made the sea. Verse 12, he says to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea is going to quiet down. Listen, pagans, outsiders, I'm waking up to something. If I take God's penalty, which is what people that follow God always do, if I suffer and take the penalty, you pagan people will be saved. Look at verse 13. Even after he says this good news, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't. 
for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. See, people that are on the outside cannot continue to trust their efforts. They try their efforts like we do with sports, career, relationships, approval, fitness, religious activity. Look at this image of trying our efforts. Our efforts are, are trying like this little mouse to lift up the other side. The elephant and the mouse tried absolutely unsuccessfully to play on the teeter-totter. People of God, our sin is infinitely treasonous to God. We will never be balanced out with God. These men are like, okay, the lot fell to you, Jonah. You're saying we've got to have a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice so that we will live. No, our effort, our rowing hard, we're just going to work harder and save ourselves. And Jonah's like, you'll never, ever, I know this God. There's an infinite distance and only grace can bring you back into a relationship. Justice has to be served with my God. A sacrifice must be substituted. Look at verse 15. They gave in. They picked up Jonah. They hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord. They made vows. Jonah becomes an emblem of God's sovereignty and his mercy towards repentant sinners. These men on the boat, on the outside, changed the way they thought about reality. Did you know that the book of Jonah is read by the Hebrew people every year on the Day of Atonement? Why? Because on the Day of Atonement, a sacrifice helped faraway people get close to God in the temple. I don't know if you're a Jewish person here worshiping with us today as Christians, but what a wonderful holiday, better than Memorial Day to remember. The book of Jonah read every day of atonement. But where's Jonah? Wait a minute. They're okay. They're alive. They did not perish. The outsiders are alive. Where's Jonah? He's overboard. He's swallowed by the sea. And number three, God's grace can swallow the worst thing that swallows you. This is good news. Some of you came today because you needed to hear this. Yes, the storms of your sin and my sin and suffering will hit us. The windy wild storm shouts, you're not in control in your life after all. You will need more help than you think you need. The sea of sin, the sea of the sea of our suffering from that sin has swallowed us up. Look at this picture. It's the famous picture. Oh, there's something that happens to Jonah. That sea, that impossibly disastrous sea. Look at verse 17. The Lord appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. You see, we will pull away from God's will, particularly with the way we love outsiders, and he will pursue us. He will prepare something bigger than our current problem to swallow us, to preserve us. This is good news. A big fish the size of a submarine will swallow Jonah, and here's the key. God came down to Jonah where he was, and lifted him up to new life. 
Did you know that Jesus, Jesus mentions Jonah and the fish? And Jesus will compare himself to Jonah. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah is the ultimate prophet who goes to the outsider to bring them inside. Jesus Christ, do you remember his story? Asleep on a boat one day. Remember? Jesus Christ, the God-man, awakened, and he walks on to the top of the boat, and he says, Peace, be still. I am the God-man, maker of this storm. He was the maker of the sea. He was the God-man. What is greater, weirder than a fish swallowing a man? The God-man, Jesus Christ, being swallowed up by God's wrath on a cross, sealed in a grave for three days. And Jesus Christ, when he came for the enemies, his outsider, remember those Ninevites? Did he come and cut off our hands and flay us alive? No. The Father saw the misdeeds of sinners like us. But because of his love, he sent his only son to meet the needs rather than focus on our misdeeds. Jesus was whipped and flayed alive. Jesus had his hands nailed to a tree. His feet were fastened so he did not run and could not run from the swallowing wrath of God. And yes, his body was hoisted high in the air so his human glory would be swallowed up in shame. On the cross, the waves of our sin washed over Jesus, submerged him so that we would be saved. He was swallowed in death, distanced from the Father, in the grave for three days, and remember the picture of that elephant? What can lift that infinite weight? Not the weight of a man dying for us. Not the weight of a Jonah who saves a couple of people on a boat. But the weight of the God-man can lift the worst of our sin. The question for us today is, are you in Christ Jonah's just chilling out in a whale. Next week, we'll see what happens in there. Well, I just said whale. Technically, it's a big fish. We'll talk about that next week. Are you in Christ? Are you in a saving relationship with this God who is so great and so good? If you are in Christ in a living relationship, you will be very conscious of the outsider who needs to be on the inside. Will you repent today of your resistance, your reluctance to connect outsiders to grace? I end with one of my favorite books. I can't wait to have grandkids, by the way. I've got five kids. I'm being patient. Remember that one sin about patience? I've got to be patient for this. I can't wait to read to my grandkids this story. It's called The Runaway Bunny. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I'll run after you, for you're my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I'll become a fish 
in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I'll become a fisherman and I'll fish for you. If you become a fisherman, said the little bunny, I'll become a rock on the mountain high above you. If you become a rock on the mountain high above me, said his mother, I will become a mountain climber and I will climb to where you are. The little bunny then said, I'll become a little sailboat. I'll sail away from you. If you become a little sailboat and sail away from me, I'll become the wind and blow you where I want you to go. Then I'll become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and you run into a house, said the mother bunny, I'll become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Shucks, said the bunny. I might just as well stay where I am be your little bunny. And that's what he did. God has placed us in our city for not us. Oh, the warmth of Metro North Church. What a family. God has placed us in our city. Can you say the words? For our city. Jesus ran after us. Who are you running after? It's all because of his grace. Would you pray with me?